Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Well, a lot has happened since the New Hampshire primary just five days ago, including an $83 million defamation judgment against the Republican frontrunner. And as the primary plods forward, the general election campaign has basically begun. Biden campaign co-chair Mitch Landrieu is standing by to talk about how they are going to take on Trump and offer his reaction to E. Jean Carroll's massive victory against him. Plus, from a department store in the 90s to her day in court this week, Andrew Weissman and Katie Fang are going to join me for a deep dive into how Carol's case against Trump got to this point and what comes next. Also today, could Nikki Haley be doing Joe Biden a favor by calling Trump confused? And what are the factors the Haley team is weighing as they decide how much to turn up the heat? And later, there is some big civil war energy coming out of Texas as Greg Abbott taunts the federal government with his actions on the border. I'll talk to Beto O'Rourke about just how crazy things are getting in his home state. As we come on the air today, we're getting some breaking news out of the Middle East. Three American service members have been killed and 25 were injured in an attack on a U.S. outpost in northeast Jordan near the border with Syria. This marks the first time that U.S. service members have been killed by enemy fire in this region since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. We're going to keep a close eye on that story, and we will bring you more developments as we get them over the next hour. But I do want to begin today with what has been a week of a head-spinning developments in the race for president. Because no matter how long Nikki Haley stays in this race, it will mark, this week will mark the start of the general election. Because this week, the frame of how Joe Biden and Donald Trump will make their case to the American people started to really take shape. It is spectacle versus substance. Chaos, as Nikki Haley would put it and has put it a number of times, versus normalcy. The thing is, is one of those things may be more exciting, more headline grabbing, but the other is actually more focused on what the majority of the American public care about. So let's dig into this split screen of this past week for a moment, starting in a New York City courtroom on Friday night, where the spectacle candidate, I bet you know the one, Donald Trump, was ordered to pay over $83 million in damages to writer E. Jean Carroll after he was found liable for sexually assaulting and then defaming her. Now, before I go any further, we just need to pause on what exactly that means. The leading candidate for the Republican nomination, who will win the nomination barring something crazy happen, who had already been found liable for sexually assaulting a woman in a dressing room, has spent the last several months continuing to relentlessly attack her story, her credibility, and her character. And this judgment was decided by a jury made up of nine ordinary citizens. We've all gotten those notices in the mail. Not George Soros, not Joe Biden, not Jack Smith. Nine ordinary people decided $83 million was the right dollar amount to award E. Jean Carroll. Now, there are political implications to this, no doubt. There are also legal questions, important ones, surrounding Donald Trump's liquidity and what he will be required to pay, what he can pay. We're going to talk about all of that. But nothing is more important than those simple facts I just laid out. 
And Trump chose to attend this trial this week. He didn't have to, because to him, the courtroom is an asset, not a vulnerability. The spectacle is all a part of his strategy. It is a large part of the case he's been making to voters during the Republican primary. In a bit of a different general election strategy, back on planet normalcy here, Biden kicked off the week by condemning abortion bans. He then celebrated great economic news, and he received an important endorsement from the United Auto Workers Union. It's quite a different approach here, I think it's safe to say, than that of his likely challenger. This week alone really showed us the contrast at the center of this election. On one side, there is the chaos theory, turning the courtroom into a campaign, revving up the worst instincts of the Republican base by playing the victim card when you are attacking the women you assaulted telling people that the system is broken and that you are the only one who can fight it. And on the other side, there is normalcy, steadiness, and perhaps most importantly, a focus on the country and not on yourself. The big question now is which side will be more appealing to the people in just about a half a dozen swing states come November? The thing is, there is also an off-ramp for Republicans. They have two choices right now in the primary. They could nominate a conservative former governor and former UN ambassador who happens to be a woman, or the guy who is liable for sexual assault, liable for defamation, liable for fraud, and is still facing four criminal indictments and 91 felony counts. It seems unlikely at this point, they've given no indication at least, that they will take that off-ramp. But if they don't, the challenge is that this strategy, based on chaos in the courtroom and echoing Adolf Hitler at every chance he gets, may not be as appealing to the broader electorate of voters Trump would need to land himself back in the Oval Office. Joining me now is the national co-chair, recently named for President Biden's re-election campaign, my friend Mitch Landrieu. It's great to see you. Uh, great to see you. Um, I want to start, Mitch, just with this question about the news from Friday night, because I know certainly that Joe Biden isn't going to talk about it, not going to talk about it on the trail. He kind of stays away from these legal cases and specificity. But Trump was ordered to pay over $83 million in damages to E. Jean Carroll, a woman who he assaulted. He was found liable for that. Um, and I just wanted to pose to you kind of what your reaction to, is to that and what how you think this may play out in the campaign. Well, hey, Jen, it's great to be with you. Thank you. It's nice to see you again. Um, it's really astounding. You know, Joe Biden is running for president uh, to save democracy as we know it, because Donald Trump is the most imminent threat to that and Trumpism. Uh, Joe Biden gets up every day thinking about how to work for the American people, and he actually gets stuff done. Donald Trump wakes up every day and thinks about himself. He thinks about revenge. He thinks about retribution. Uh, and that is a real problem. And, and as your opening said, there has never been a better split screen in real time that allows the American people to make an informed choice about what direction they want the country to go in. Now, on Thursday or Friday, I don't remember what day it was, shortly after the president had received the endorsement from the UAW, primarily because he's been able to deliver thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs to working men and women because he believes the middle class built this country and the unions built the middle class. The jury came in uh, on the E.G. Carroll uh, case that you talked about same a minute week. ago. Yes. The next day, on that day, the same week, and on that day, while that was happening, and Donald Trump was standing in the courthouse trying to explain uh, that he had just gotten punished by a jury of his peers for sexually abusing Eugene Carroll. Joe Biden was in Wisconsin 
uh, delivering a billion dollars to rebuild the Blatnik Bridge that is going to put thousands mm. of working men and people, working women uh, and men t- uh, to work. Um, that, as you know, is part of 40,000 projects that are going on in the country right now to rebuild the roads and the bridges and the airports and the ports and to make sure that we have clean air so kids don't have to drink lead uh, water out of lead pipes, so the kids can have high-speed internet, so that farmers can have precision agriculture, delivering an economy last week where we broke stock market records, low unemployment. That's Joe Biden, hardworking Joe Biden, getting to work. And by the way, delivering things for Republicans and Democrats, no matter whether they voted for him or not, not retribution. Donald Trump, on the other hand, having been determined to be a sexual abuser, is standing on the on the courthouse steps saying, uh, not only is it okay for me to do this, uh, but I'm going to keep doing it. And oh, by the way, I'd like my lawyers to go into court and to see whether I could get cut loose yes. for ordering the assassination of my political enemies. Now, if you want a clearer choice a than that, things. you really cannot well, me, have one. And let me ask you about that, because you just talked about it. We've been talking about it. Why? Because there are a lot of people out there who support the president, who are rooting for him and who want him to go after Trump on, say, the fact that his opponent has been found liable and now found by a jury to uh, owe $83 million to a woman he not only assaulted but defamed. Why doesn't the president go after him? Explain the political strategy there. Well, I'm the co-chair, one of the co-chairs of the campaign. And we're speaking to that specifically. I don't think it's I don't think it's unclear that Donald Trump now. I don't know. Maybe I could ask the American people. Do you know anybody, much less somebody who's trying to be president that has 91 felony accounts uh, against them right now in four separate courts all across the country brought by an independent uh, legal system. Uh, there's nobody in America. And so the, the, the idea that um, he, he would be the president again is astounding. He shouldn't be within 100 miles uh, of, of the White House. And I think people in America, as they focus in on this race and understand the clear choice that the Republican Party of Donald Trump, which is not even a recognizable Republican Party to the Republicans that loved Ronald Reagan or George mm. Bush or Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney, whoever those people might be. And that's why Joe Biden is saying, listen, come my way. I'm a common sense guy. I'm trying to get stuff done. The border is a perfect example where the the folks on the House side have said, oh, we need a border deal. By the way, one that the president put on their desk the first day he came into office and he said, "Okay." And now they're saying, no, we want to wait. We actually want to have an open border now because we think it's politically advantageous. Now, you got a guy who ready, is ready to work across the aisle and get stuff done and another group of folks that are just a party of no. And we're going to speak about it, that very forcefully to the yeah, American people as you, as and, you and should. hopefully get there. Now, the border thing is, as my mother would say, not on the level, and hopefully that will continue to be called out. I do want to ask you, because not just are, were you sure. a former senior staffer, you have run successfully for office yourself. You come from a legacy fa- political family. There is this question right now in the Democratic Party a little bit on how long they want the primary to be going on, because on one hand, running directly against Donald Trump, where it's very clear he's the opponent, that's to the advantage of Joe Biden, because it will make the choice clear. But Nikki Haley is whacking the heck out of Donald Trump at the same time. So what's your take as a political expert on how long? Would you like Nikki Haley to be in for a while hitting Trump or would you like it to be where it's clear it's just Trump and Biden? Well, one of the lessons I learned, um, having done all the things you said I did, um, nine races, I lost two of them, won seven. Um, you You can't focus on things that you can't control. You know, the Republican folks are going to have to figure out who is what. But Nikki Haley is doing a good job explaining to the American 
public who Donald Trump really is. Mm -hmm. um, and he is demonstrating to the rest of the country who he really is by seeking retribution and saying things like, well, if you give money to Nikki Haley, you can't participate. Now, I want you to just compare that to Joe Biden, who yeah. says, I pass this infrastructure bill, Mitch, and make sure that it gets in every community of the country, irrespective of whether they voted for me or not, because I'm a president for everybody. Donald Trump has demonstrated he is gonna be the president for himself and only himself. And if you don't like what he does, or you try to confront him, he is going to abuse you, maybe sexually, he's gonna abuse you politically, he's gonna make you pay, he is gonna seek retribution and vengeance. Here's the thing, that's not who the American people are. That's why I am fully confident that if we prosecute our case the way we're supposed to, that folks in America are gonna pick Joe Biden's vision of an optimistic, hopeful future, and not one of hate, meanness, retribution, and darkness that Donald Trump wants to deliver to us in chaos. I don't think no, that that's going to happen. And we're no going to make question. sure it does. Because as you may remember, and I'll end with this, Joe Biden's the only guy that be, has ever beat Donald Trump, and he's going to beat him again. By 7 million votes. You have to expand your base of support and get more votes, as you know well. <laughs> Mitch Lander, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so True much. That. We'll look forward to talking to you again in the coming months. We'll talk soon. And coming up, Donald Trump holds his first rally since the E. Jean Carroll verdict, and what he didn't say about her might be more interesting than what he did. Andrew Weissman and Katie Fang are standing by to talk about that and what comes next in this case. We're just getting... Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Start today and we'll be right back. In the wake of Friday's $83.3 million defamation judgment against Donald Trump, I want to take a moment to briefly lay out how we arrived at this point, because sometimes it's easy to forget. Back in 2019, E. Jean Carroll released a book in which she accused Trump of raping her in a New York City department store in the 1990s. Soon after, Trump attacked her in the same way he handled a dozen sexual assault allegations leveled against him over the years, claiming despite photographic evidence to the contrary, that they had never met. I have no idea who she is. Uh, what she did is it's, it's terrible. What's going on? So it's a total false accusation, and I don't know anything about her. Two days later, in an interview with The Hill, Trump went further, saying, quote, number one, she's not my type. Carol soon began receiving a flood of violent death threats. In an interview with The Guardian in July of 2019, she said she even started sleeping with a loaded gun by her bed. All the while, Trump was relentless in keeping up his attacks. 
And it took years and a change in New York state law for Carroll's lawsuit against the former president to actually move forward. But finally, in the spring of 2023, the case went to trial. Jurors watched three days of testimony from Carol, testimony from two of her friends that she confided in at the time of the alleged rape, and deposition tape of Trump standing by his comments about stars being able to do whatever they want with women. We all remember that. In the end, that jury found Trump liable for defamation and sexual assault and ordered him to pay Carol $5 million in damages. And then, the very next day, we saw just how little that judgment affected Trump when he attacked Carol during a CNN town hall. And I Can swear I on my because- children, which I'd never do, I have no idea who this woman, this is a fake story, made up story. I have no idea who the hell, she's a Mr. whack President, job. You- Those comments in that town hall, he called her a whack job, if you couldn't hear that, and an avalanche of similar attacks that followed on social media laid the groundwork for the trial that ended this week. In their closing arguments on Friday, Carol's lawyers asked the jury to deliver a punishment that would finally get him to stop. Well, so far, it appears that $83 million judgment has given Trump some pause. Now, it's been less than 48 hours, but still. He has not attacked Carol on his true social account, and at this his first rally since the decision, he managed to hold back from directly commenting on the case. We will see if that continues. Joining me now are two brilliant legal minds, two of my favorite legal minds. Andrew Weissman is the former general counsel at the FBI and a senior member of special counsel Robert Mueller's team. And Katie Fang is a former attorney and, of course, host of The Katie Fang Show here on MSNBC. So I want us to just start with the details here and the question a lot of people keep asking me. This is, of course, Andrew, an enormous judgment against the former president, $83 million. It's kind of an eye-popping number. Trump has said he's going to appeal. If he appeals, he still has to pay some portion. So give us the details here. How much and how sure. long could this appeal process go? Yeah, essentially, people are wondering, when will she see the money? Yeah, um, exactly. And so... so um, put it together with the other judgment, which was for $5 million. Um, So you have $88 million that two separate juries, that is 18 jurors, unanimously concluded um, Donald Trump owes because there is a victim here and it is not Donald Trump. Um, for um, sexual assault, you have a very graphic nature against her will um, and um, repeated defamation. Now, um, what the court does, um, because anybody, including Donald Trump, is entitled to due process, and that means he's entitled to appeal both verdicts. Anyone would be entitled to do that. However, during that period, what the court requires and is already required with respect to the first judgment, and no doubt will require with respect to this judgment, is that the defendant post a bond. That is that they have to put up the money or a bond mm. that will make sure that the plaintiff is not left with nothing. Um, in other words, if you want to be heard on appeal and take the time to be heard by another court as to whether legally it was done correctly, they won't review the facts, but legally they'll review it. Um, the money is in the court or a bond is in the court to make sure that E.G. Carroll, if the decisions are affirmed, has that pool of money to go after. Um, And so I think people need to know, yes, she will have to wait, but there's no question that Judge Kaplan will make sure that there is that pool of money in the court Mm -hmm. so that if she prevails on appeal, she is able to be paid in full. 
that that is good for people to hear. I think a relief for people to hear. Kate, I, I wanted to ask you. I alluded to this in my opening there, but you know, it has been less than forty-eight hours. But Trump has not attacked Eugene Carroll by name. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of cases out there where he continues to attack not only potential jurors but people in the legal system and the justice system. Should this give us any hope that the size of this judgment worked, or kind of from a legal perspective, what, what's your takeaway at this point? Yeah, so the concept of a verdict, especially for somebody like Eugene Carroll, it's kind of split in two. There's compensatory damages, the idea of making her whole, uh, the idea of correcting the harm that was perpetrated by Donald Trump when he defamed her and said that she was a liar. But then there's the punitive damages and the word punitive. It's supposed to punish But punitive damages are also to serve as a deterrent, meaning it's supposed to keep people like Donald Trump and others from doing that conduct, that bad conduct that results in an $83.3 million judgment. 48 hours for Donald Trump is a lifetime. We all know that he only looks at directly what is in front of him. Mm -hmm. So it is a long period of time. But in some respects, it could show that because the amount was so high, it wasn't another five million, maybe another six million because it was 65 million punitive damages that because it hits him where it hurts him the most, he's decided to maybe exercise some judgment. I don't want to give him too much credit, but maybe Mm -hmm. he's exercised some judgment and not wanting to do it. I think also what's happening, too, is it could come back to haunt him if he starts defaming other people. We've Mm -hmm. seen him look at limited gag orders, Jen, in other cases. We've seen him see that there's a legal prohibition against him speaking out in ways that are harmful. And so it's not like the judicial system is just standing by waiting for him to do something wrong. You see some proactivity there. But let me be clear. It is not prior restraint. It is not some type of abridgment of his First Amendment free speech rights. There's a reason why the laws exist to make sure that people like Donald Trump stay in line. It's really interesting to watch with the other cases you alluded to. We only have about a minute left. I wish we had more time. So, Andrew, let me ask you about uh, something that struck me, is, which is the warning by Judge Kaplan to the jury that they not reveal they were part of this case. Of course, they were. their names were not announced. We know it was seven men, um, two women. Uh, you know, that seems—well, obviously, it's Trump, so of course he's going to go after them. But you've litigated—you've been in a lot of courtrooms. How uncommon, how un- unique is that kind of a warning? Jen, the last time I was in a courtroom where a judge said that to a jury, Vincent Giganti, the former boss of the Genovese family, had been convicted. And the then chief judge of the Eastern District of New York told the jurors that they spoke as one body of jurors and they they spoke in court. And he gave the same strong admonition that he said, well, you are legally free to, his strong advice to them was not to speak individually to the press out of concern about retribution from uh, Vincent Giganti and his ilk. It is remarkable that that same admonition was said with respect to somebody who was the was the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. That is the last time I heard that admonition being given. 
It's quite company to have. Uh, Andrew Weissman, Katie Fang, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for explaining some of these legal issues to all of us. Uh, and coming up next, uh, following some breaking news, we're following some breaking news out of the Middle East. I talked about this a little bit at the top, but three U.S. service members were killed in Northeast Jordan near the Syria border. We'll tell you about what we're learning about the attack and how the White House is reacting. And former CIA Director John Brennan is standing by with his reaction. We're back after a quick break. We want to turn now to that breaking news out of the Middle East. Three American service members were killed and 25 were injured in a drone attack on a United States outpost in northeast Jordan, near the border from, with Syria. This marks the first time that U.S. service members have been killed by enemy fire in this region since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. And just moments ago, President Joe Biden put out a statement on this attack, saying in part, Today, America's heart is heavy. Joining me now is former CIA Director John Brennan. Director Brennan, we're so grateful that you were able to make yourself available on such short notice. I wanted to just ask, I mean, you and I have talked a number of times since the start of this war about the risk of escalation. And we've seen that at the border. We've seen it in a number of ways. Um, in the president's statement, he said, we know this attack was carried out by radical Iran-backed militant groups operating in Syria and Iraq. As you're watching from your vantage point, is this a different kind of escalation, given we're talking about U.S. troops involved? It's a very dangerous escalation, Jen, uh, given that there were three military personnel, Americans killed, and over two dozen injured. It's a sizable attack, whether it was one or more drones. These are drones that are packed with explosives and then detonate upon impact. But to have that type of the number of casualties suggested it was a fairly sizable one. And as the White House has pointed out, uh, Iran has cultivated relationships with a number of the militia and extremist groups in Syria, Iraq, and other areas as a way to put pressure on regional adversaries as well mm -hmm. as on the United States. So the big question, I think, for the White House is whether or not this is an Iranian-supported group or whether it was mm. an Iranian-directed attack. But in either way, I think there are going to be consequences. And to, on that point, I mean, obviously, they're discussing that presumably right now uh, in the Situation Room. But in the president's statement, he also said we will hold all those responsible to a, a account at a time and in a manner of our choosing. What are they weighing in a room like that right now? What is the conversation like? As you just said, it's whether it was Iran or directed or what was whether a proxy. What are the other factors they discuss as they weigh that? Well, they're going to take a look at the intelligence, what type of intelligence is available, either from human sources or from technical systems, to see which group was involved. Uh, clearly, they were targeting a U.S. base there in the northeastern part of Jordan. Uh, the question is whether or not there was some direction that came from Tehran to this group, uh, and also then to determine exactly how best to respond. And I, I believe that the folks at the White House right now, working with the intelligence and defense communities, are trying to see what type of options they have available. But I mm -hmm. do believe that there will be a response here. And Iran is certainly flirting with being becoming a target itself of some type of uh, strikes, uh, retaliatory strikes uh, to deter them from further actions. Now, we don't know, as you just stated, obviously, this just happened, whether this is Iran directed or not. But just to put to help people understand the context here, if it's Iran directed and that is determined through intelligence, how significant would that be? 
Well, I think it would be very significant. You, you see throughout the region a number of these Iranian-supported groups, whether it be Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, uh, Hezbollah in Iraq. And now here it appears as though this attack emanated from Syria across the border into Jordan. So it's clear that Iran is uh, orchestrating these attacks, and this directed against U.S. military personnel, resulting in the deaths of U.S. military personnel. It is very, very significant. And so therefore, I do believe that the Biden administration is going to look seriously at some options. And I think Iran is going to have to be held accountable to some degree, whether it is the Iranian support to these groups in the region or whether it is in Iran itself. Director Brennan, thank you as always for really bringing some clarity to us about this breaking news uh, item. Appreciate you joining us today. And coming up next, with Nikki Haley facing a very slim path to the Republican nomination, she's going for broke against Donald Trump, using the words confused and unhinged a whole lot. I'll explain why it could be a gift to the Biden campaign. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. When we come back. With her window of opportunity closing rapidly, Nikki Haley has clearly chosen her preferred line of attack against Donald Trump, that he is old and he is confused. They're saying he got confused, that he was talking about something else. He was talking about Nancy Pelosi. And the fact that he got confused and didn't, didn't acknowledge the fact that it was actually Nancy Pelosi he was supposed to be talking about. The reality is he was confused. He mentioned it three times. He got confused. You know, we talked about, okay, he was having a moment. He was confused. What is he talking about? I mean, look, we've seen him get confused. He He was confused the same way that he said he ran against President Obama. And we're going to have someone who we can or can't be sure that they're going to get confused. We can't have someone else that we question whether they're mentally fit to do this. We can't. Of course, Haley has a difficult path to the nomination at this point if any path at all, just given the states ahead. But if these attacks don't help her prevail against Trump, they could still help Joe Biden. That's because attacks in primary campaigns can often reemerge in general elections. For example, Barack Obama made Mitt Romney the poster boy of corporate greed back in 2012, slamming him for his job-killing buyouts of struggling companies during his time at Bain Capital. But the truth is, those charges were amplified, lifted up months earlier by Romney's Republican opponents in the primary. Mitt Romney and Bain Capital 
were involved with what I call vulture capitalism. They apparently looted the companies, uh, left people totally unemployed, and walked off with millions of dollars. And there's a real difference between venture capitalism and vulture capitalism. Venture capitalism, we like. Vulture capitalism, no. They were making a lot of money while the company was going bankrupt. Yep, believe it or not, President Obama actually had Rick Perry and Newt Gingrich, of all people, to thank for helping lay some of the groundwork there. In another example from way back in 1972, Richard Nixon released a brutal ad ridiculing the defense policy of his Democratic challenger, George McGovern, literally using, as you can see there, toy soldiers to illustrate the sweeping cuts that McGovern wanted to make to the armed forces. The thing is, that line of attack originally came from McGovern's primary opponent, Hubert Humphrey, and Nixon uses Humphrey's words to make his point for him. Senator Hubert Humphrey had this to say about the McGovern proposal. It isn't just cutting into the fat. It isn't just cutting into manpower. It's cutting into the very security of this country. One of the most infamous Republican attack campaigns had roots in the Democratic primary race earlier that year. During the general election of 1988, George H.W. Bush ran a devastating ad against Michael Dukakis, targeting his state's controversial furlough program, which basically gave weekend passes to convicted criminals. But Bush wasn't the first to attack Dukakis on those weekend passes. It was actually Dukakis's primary opponent, Al Gore, who pointed out in a primary debate that furloughed prisoners had gone on to commit serious crimes. Two of them committed uh, other murders while they were on their passes. If you were elected president, would you advocate a similar program for federal penitentiaries? That exchange proved to be a bit of a gift to the Bush campaign that year. And as it turns out, the more politics changes, the more the tactics seem to stay the same. In the past week, the Biden campaign has already released an ad using Nikki Haley's attack on Trump to their own end. Her voice, her words. And here's the president just last night during a speech in South Carolina. By the way, have you noticed? He's a little confused these days. He apparently can't tell the difference between Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi. That is the Haley attack she's been doing on the trail against Trump. So the Biden team is clearly ready to run against Trump. We see that. They've said that. But in the meantime, they might not mind some of these assists from Nikki Haley. Coming up next, there sure is a lot of big talk about the civil war and secession. It's pretty alarming happening in Texas right now when it comes to the border. But as one person who understands the hypocrisy of the Texas GOP and its leaders better than anyone tweeted, If Texas Republicans are so concerned about rapists and criminals, they should get a load of their presidential nominee. That was, of course, Beto O'Rourke. He's standing by and joins me right after this quick break. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been fixing for a fight about the southern border ever since President Biden took office. And this week, a battle over whether or not the federal government is allowed to remove razor wire installed by the state of Texas threw a lot of gasoline on that fire. After a lawsuit from the Department of Justice, the Supreme Court basically said federal border control control, patrol agents are well within their rights to step in and remove the razor wire. 
And Governor Abbott has responded by essentially taunting the federal government by continuing to have the Texas National Guard and state troopers lay more wire. And now this back and forth is sparking a whole lot of casual references to civil war in the right wing circles. Basically, the Supreme Court has told Texas your choices are be invaded or secede. The federal government would come in and some people would say, well, that's the seeds of a civil war. Is that what you want? Where does this end? That Supreme Court decision that was made has now put the federal government at war with the state of Texas. Joining me now is former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who is the founder of the political action committee, Power of People. Well, you have been—thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. You have been very vocal about this, and I thought it was so important to explain to people what's going on here. Because one of the things that struck me is that it's not just an issue— back and forth with the Border Patrol. We're talking about Donald Trump is now calling on Republican governors to call on their own National Guard members to help Abbott. It's escalating. How concerning is that to you? Well, it's really clear that Republicans, especially Trump and those who enabled him, never had any interest in solving the problem. In fact, they are focusing on creating a bigger problem because cynically they believe that this is to their political advantage going into November. We've seen President Biden bend over backwards about as far as you can politically to meet every single one of their demands, at least brought to him by Senate Republicans, agreeing to, in his own words on Friday, to shut down the border, which is something Mm -hmm. you might expect Donald Trump to say. But that deal doesn't go far enough for them. And Trump has ordered his lieutenants to reject it so that he can run on this in November. But it's not just the politics or the rhetoric or the policy. We're talking about human lives. The people who are losing them are those very migrants that uh, Greg Abbott, our governor, has mused about shooting and said that he wouldn't only because he'd be arrested by the Biden administration. They're dying in record numbers. And Jen, these are women. Mm. These are young children who are being swept up in the currents of the Rio Grande River, who are dying of exposure and dehydration in the Chihuahuan Desert. And let's remember that on August 3rd, 2019, somebody who was triggered by this rhetoric of invasion and secession and insurrection Mm -hmm. and these migrants were coming to get us, walked into a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, and slaughtered 23 innocent human beings. So what's happening right now could not be more dangerous. And this is a moment where we need leadership. We need to remember our values and who we are as a country. And we're counting on President Biden to do the right thing. I want to talk about that rhetoric because you've raised this and this is such an important thing for people to understand. I mean, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick saying Texas is being, quote, invaded by murderers, terrorists and rapists. That is some heated, escalatory, pretty outrageous language. You just alluded to this, but talk to us more about what the impact of language like that. How do people hear that? What could happen uh, at the border and in some of these communities where people hear that and, and think they should act? It's absolutely clear that we've got legitimate concerns and challenges at the border. The problem is when Abbott and Dan Patrick and Donald Trump and the Republican leadership in Congress exacerbate those problems and create chaos and confusion, it makes it really hard to identify those who could very well threaten the United States, who are in the vast minority of those asylum seekers and refugees who are seeking to cross. Furthermore, as you point out, this kind of rhetoric is uh, is inciting these dead-ender Confederate uh, dreamers uh, who are coming to Texas 
with weapons who are promising to shoot and to kill people. And this isn't just me saying it. Um, follow my feed on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter, and you'll see them responding to our tweets, promising that they're coming to Texas mm. to shoot people. That's not an empty threat. Uh, look at what happened in Buffalo. Look at what happened in El Paso. These white nationalist terrorists are taking their cues, not from the extreme or the fringe of the Internet, but by elected leaders like Greg Abbott or Donald Trump. That's why I'm hoping that President Biden will remind us of who we are at our best. We're a country of immigrants. We can find safe, legal, orderly pathways for people to come here the right way to do better for themselves and certainly to do better for all of us. And he must meet Greg Abbott at this showdown and uh, reiterate what the Supreme Court has already decided, that the federal government has supremacy at the border on immigration policy and restore what we know to be true about this country, that those immigrants make us stronger by their very presence. And certainly we don't want to see them die or be killed by these unhinged right-wing terrorists. We want to get back to the order, the safety, the control, that we are totally capable of. But it's going to take that presidential leadership, which, by the way, Jen, he is free to exercise now. He's done everything he can to try well, to strike me, a bipartisan deal. Let me Republicans yes. won't work with him. He can go it alone. Let me ask you about that. Because One, that's absolutely, and let me just double tap on that. There is a bipartisan deal that a number of conservative Republicans have said is a great deal that Donald Trump and others are stopping. But let me ask you about something you, you've talked about, which is federalizing the National Guard. Uh, can you, not everybody's for that, just to state, the, to state clearly. Why do you think that's something the president should do? And are you concerned about any of the potential drawbacks, like say, if someone like Trump is elected, he might see that as a precedent? In 54, the Supreme Court orders the integration of public education in America with Brown versus Board. In 57, Governor Faubus in Arkansas defies a Supreme Court order, uses the state guard to keep those young African-American children from going to Little Rock High School. President Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, federalizes the guard and actually sends in the 101st Airborne as well to make sure that that Supreme Court decision is upheld and honored. Today, you have another extremist uh, governor in Greg Abbott who's defying a Supreme Court order, defying the Constitution, defying the president of the United States, and using 10,000 members of the state guard to block federal border patrol agents from doing their job, which, by the way, Jen, is to apprehend those who cross in between ports of entry, to detain them, to deport them back to the country from which they came if they don't qualify for parole or the ability to stay in this country, and also to save the lives of those migrants who right now are dying and drowning in the Rio Grande River. If he's not going to follow the law, then it is up to the president to make sure that the mm -hmm. law is followed by federalizing the guard. I know that that is a big step for the president to take. I know that folks don't want to inflame the situation. But, Jen, what I've seen at every turn after busting migrants and deploying these drowning devices, putting razor wire under the river, and now openly flirting with secession, is that if you do not confront Greg Abbott, he's going to continue to escalate. It's time for the president to take control of this. I know he wants to. I know that ultimately he will. But it benefits when people around this country provide that public pressure for him to do the right thing. And I'm confident that he will. Uh, thank you, Bitter O'Rourke, for being so outspoken, for explaining on Twitter and other platforms, as you said, what exactly is really happening here. And I really appreciate you joining us this afternoon as well.
And coming up, some big news about what's happening here on MSNBC tomorrow night. We have a big show. We're back after a quick break. Stay with us. That does it for me today, but we've got another big show in the works for tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Someone I've been looking forward to chatting with for a long time. Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii will join me here at the table in studio. Plus, George Conway will be here to discuss his role in the E. Jean Carroll verdict. He was responsible for putting Carroll in touch with her attorney, Robbie Kaplan. And right after that, at 9 p.m., E. Jean Carroll and her attorneys, Robbie Kaplan and Sean Crowley, will join my colleague, Rachel Maddow, to discuss the verdict against former President Trump. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.